Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's a brand new year. And what better time to get going with that online store you've been thinking of? Those I was there when Arsenal actually scored a gold t-shirts would fly off the shelves right now. And to get yourself up and running, you need Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way through to the did we hit a million order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort with thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash arsblog, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash arsblog now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash arsblog. Hello and welcome to another Arsenal Women Arsecast on Arsblog.com with me, your presenter, Tim Stillman. This is a podcast that's been a quite a long time in the making and really it's going to splice two subjects that I'm really interested in together. Clearly, usually when Arsenal sign a player, I put together a podcast about that player with someone who's watched that player a lot. And so I've had a lot of time to think about who I might record a podcast about Chloe Lacasse with. And actually that proved really, really difficult because there aren't that many people who watch Portuguese, watch the Portuguese league very, very regularly. And it's not a particularly accessible league to watch. And actually this made me think of another thing I've been thinking over the last kind of 18 months or so and precisely why I'm so interested in this signing, which is, you know, looking for those inefficiencies in the women's transfer market and perhaps some of those players who do fall between the cracks a little bit and we maybe saw it a bit with Hafaeli as well when she was at Arsenal albeit I think her reasons for going to China were largely financial but another you know a player who I think is world class who had kind of been hidden from view in China for a few years and it made me think about all of those like if if I can't get someone to talk about Chloe Lacasse how did Arsenal scout this player how did they find her and what role does the women Women's Champions League have now in perhaps making some of these players visible and I was racking my brains about who to talk about both of those things with and actually found what I consider to be a very good guest for both subjects so some of you might have seen his work on Twitter uh, particularly around data analytics around the women's game but very delighted uh, to welcome Mark Lamberts to the show Mark thanks for coming on yeah, thanks for having me. It's uh, it's quite an intro, but yeah, uh, I'm really interesting to hear also what you have to say. And I think it's um, definitely a, a topic that uh, needs uh, exploring a little bit more, especially in the women's game. 
Yeah, absolutely. And and kind of before we crack into it, do you want to just introduce yourself in terms of some of the roles that you've had and have and hold around women's football? And I guess why I asked you on, really. Yeah, so um, basically, um, I've been interested in scouting and analytics uh, for a long time, also the coaching aspect of it. Um, but yeah, uh, pre pre-pandemic, pre-COVID, I started to delve into more that side of women's football. And, um, well, I don't know if, if many people know, but not a lot of clubs around the world, bar the, the few elite ones who have the, the, the resources, have uh, many scouts, many analysts on their payroll. So if you are an analyst, you will be asked to do everything that is considered analysis or scouting. So can be very broad and um, I'm lucky to have some experience around Europe uh, in in England and Germany France uh, Spain as well Italy as well and and particularly in Sweden and I think it gives you a good perspective how we watch the game in different countries and which countries have developed a little bit more in the financial aspect and therefore also feel they can spend a little bit more on backroom staff Um, so yeah, I've been uh, a scout, uh, mainly a recruitment analyst, which is a little bit different from a scout, but we can delve into that a little bit later. Um, and also uh, did a lot of opposition analysis, uh, looking at opponents and set pieces. And do you do this then on a kind of freelance basis, on a consultancy basis? Do you work with clubs specifically on short-term contracts? What does, because I know, again, you reference like the absolute elite clubs like Arsenal have a couple of analysts and, you know, they will have scouts, but even a club like Arsenal, I don't think, certainly not compared to the men's game, have Mm. a very mature developed scouting program. So how does it, how does it work for you personally? Yeah, so um, um, I made the decision to have my own company uh, and and can be consulting because most of the recruitment work is project-based. So, for example, there was an NWSL club in the United States and they said, like, okay, we need this position. Uh, We have looked on it. We have cracked our brains on it. Uh, We can't find anything, anything, or we found something, but we like a second opinion. So that's uh, when I do a project um, on recruitment. It's mostly that, or like around the transfer market, they will contact and have you had any ideas of players that would be interested or are within our budget. If you're looking at analysis, it's more on a season base and it's never full-time. It's always part-time. Um, they would like to have one dedicated full-time, but it's, it's too expensive. And especially when budgets are tight and you're looking to avoid relegation or, you know, if you're avoiding relegation or you're looking to avoid it, uh, you also have to make budget for the case you will be relegated. And then, yeah, like we have seen with Reading, it's very difficult when you are relegated to keep that up and, and, and um, the club has to believe in it, obviously, but also the budgets are tight. So mainly it's a part-time thing, especially uh, when you are remote like I am most of the times, then it's part-time. Uh, that, yeah, obviously there are full-time roles, but it's not, I would say that, that it's the exception. Yeah, yeah. And when you do, for example, opposition yeah. analysis, like 
what does that because obviously one of the uh, one of the things i've always heard don't have any experience in this type of field at all that i've always heard and a challenge of coaching as well as analysis and opposition analysis is obviously you can put together and you can gather a lot of information but then it's got to the other end it's got to go to the players and it's got to go to the players in a way that's digestible for them yeah. like what does that look like for you when you're particularly when you're opposition scouting and you know out of the other end of all this watching and all this data and all this information you're gathering that it's got to come out in you know maybe a few bullet points yeah so obviously you make a report a presentation and even if i make it and would put it in my own terms the coach wouldn't understand it because that's not their specialty and that that's why they are coaches and not analysts. Um, I would say that the traditional role uh, will be that you have a head coach or manager and have the assistant, and one of the assistants will be tasked with opposition analysis. Now, they are tasked with a lot, a lot more things now, so they would like to have an analyst. As analyst, your, your main role task is to make a few concepts clear you have to look at the different game phases. So how does this team play in attacking phase, in the defensive phase, and the two transition phase. So the transition from defense to attack and the transition phase from attack to defense. This is the general team stuff. Then you will look at how would they create chances? How can we make sure to block that? How And another way, how are their weaknesses? How can we exploit that? Then you have your set piece stuff. So it's very important because it's direct impact. Uh, how can we score? How can we prevent? And then you have a few cue players, key players that might be very interesting to, to, to nullify uh, and watch out for. So um, it becomes easier to beat an opponent. It's very important that you make a presentation with a few graphs, a few bullet points, which are understandable for everyone especially because you know uh, a team doesn't exist only of english players or dutch players or swedish players no they have different nationalities so it must be a little bit universal understandable uh, for each player and uh, like if i show a graph with the formation it should be understandable for everyone and the coach can then give the explanation of what is the game plan how are going to exploit it that's the key thing so make it understandable and insightful for the whole group and how exactly did you get into this like uh it sounds like the sort of job that a lot of i mean it's very specialized but it also sounds like the sort of job a lot of people would, would quite like like at what point do you make that leap from you know i think i might like to do this i don't know maybe i'll start a blog or something or i start mm -hmm. writing and then like actually clubs come to your attention like how how did you kind of plot that path from i'm interested in this i think i've got an eye for this to actually like working with clubs there are a few things i've done um i've started in men's football with my local club which is quite small they were they are always between first division and second division and i was able to to explore so I was volunteering with the with academy, volunteering with academy scouting, and then I developed an understanding, and they they saw that I had a, a knack for it to to, to do the scouting. Um, this is how I did 
on-field work. Well, yeah, of course, everyone uh, had the pandemic to do the COVID uh, period. And then, yeah, I was just like a lot of people listening and out there. I was on my desk with my laptop and I was thinking, okay, what, what can I do? I can watch games at home. I can look at the data. So I started to read a lot and then write a lot. And I thought tactical stuff, that's, that's the thing that interests me. And I also want to explore a little bit more. I just want my, get my thoughts out there. And Twitter had a, had, at the time had a great community of um, people writing about tactics, about scouting and, and, and conversing with each other. And that's how I grew. And then I grew, I started posting more, uh, writing uh, more and more my, on my website, other websites, visuals, and then clubs started to think out the box. So they were, clubs, employees were also on Twitter and saw, okay, this is a very interesting insight in how something is done. I, I like the way that he or she is thinking. Let's have a conversation. And that conversation doesn't mean, okay, you are on board, but just have a conversation. Okay, it's, what's happening what would you do if you were arsenal's recruitment team and where would you look and what do you think we need to get better and where do we need to keep carrying on and all these conversations at some point com compare with the knowledge you have acquired and the the, the on-field uh, uh experience you already had um yeah then clubs get interested and, and especially when you have that fast knowledge in the women's game, I would say if you do well and, and deliver good work, people, you can really make a name for yourself quite quickly. It's a small world. Uh, it's a small world. So, um, and that's also why when I am in the men's game, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a certain level clubs that will look at me and not that uh, well known. But in the women's game, it's, it's different because, yeah, there are only a handful or like like 50 really invested um, scouts or analysts that are online. And then, yeah, then it goes and goes around. But that's the main thing. I, I think it's also a combination of um, showcasing your work. What can you do? Because you can apply to roles, but they don't, don't have an idea what you are capable of. And mm. if they have something... You can show it's, it's the same media. I think if you can showcase a portfolio, what you have written, where you have written, what you have done, that's far more important than okay, you have done a journalism degree, but show me what you have done. And this is the same with scouting, and especially for scouting, because there is no there's no degree for scouting. There's no there's no uh, there are no here in the Netherlands there are no courses to become a scout, and. There are a few out there, but no official ones. Mm. So that's why, um, yeah, it's difficult. Yeah, yeah. And this gets me thinking of loads of things. Like you mentioned there about, um, you know, certain coaches will do opposition analysis. I know at Arsenal, for example, Aaron Dantino is one of the yeah. assistant coaches. He came up in video analysis. That was his entire role at, at Melbourne. He actually didn't have that much coaching experience. That's what he's learned at Arsenal, but he mainly came on board because he was considered such a good analyst. Um, and he kind of not learned the coaching bit after, but he, that was more what he'd been exposed to. And yeah. I think about at the you know at, at the overall level of Arsenal on the men and women's side during COVID, Edu um, you know kind of cut out a lot of on the ground scouts in favour. I think of 
remote scouting um, and all that because it seems to me like quite a volatile industry as well. And like you say, there's no like qualifications attached to it. I've read Michael Calvin wrote a brilliant book about um, scouting in the UK. Like what does a scout do? What does a scout's life look like? Um, And the book's about 10, 15 years old now. So even some of that is probably dated, but it looks very like old school about, you know, driving up and down the motorway (laughs) and all of that and watching a player. And I remember he spoke to a scout who was scouting a goalkeeper and just watched the goalkeeper the entire game, like didn't watch the ball or anything. And, you know, all these little things that you have to look for, which which I guess you, you learn on the job, right? Um, yeah, it depends. You have and nowadays you have different scouts. So you have live scouts who are traveling, going to the games. You have uh, video scouts who will watch a lot of video. Um, you have data scouts, obviously, who focus on the data. Um, and then you also have, of course, academy scouts, which is a different category, in my opinion. Um, goalkeeper scouts are just like goalkeepers are a little bit separate from from the from the rest of the team the scouts also it's, it's a it's, it's a whole different area of the sport i would say mm-hmm. and but i would say also uh position specific scouts are coming up so scouts were only focusing on defense or attack or midfield and, and you have recruitment analysts who do scouting but also do the um, assessment of a profile so which kind of profile do you need uh, what does that mean what does that mean for data what does that mean for the video what does it mean for live scouting but also how, will this um, will this individual be happy at our club will they uh, coincide with our values uh, how is the social media use all the complete package it's a waste structure okay and that's and all that kind of things the complete process is also uh, encapsulated by a recruitment analyst in combination with your head of scouting or your head of sporting activities. Uh, and of course, you learn a lot on the job. Um, and also, you will be molded by the club where you're at. Uh, you have to know the plan of play, the philosophy, the, 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 the idea behind the ball. You know, Arsenal has a certain culture in football. And if they would play like... Uh, a very low block all the time people would ask about okay what's what's this this is not the arsenal i grew up with or what i feel like arsenal should play like and maybe you win things but in the end in the long run people want to go to arsenal to see exciting attacking football that's the general consensus Mm. so that's a culture that also needs to be kept and also be seen by scouts and by the players that might come in and that's also why sometimes people were like yeah why uh, did we get this player, which might score more goals, but is she an Arsenal player? And that's mm-hmm. a very important distinction. And that that's something you will need to, need to learn on the job. Yeah, yeah. And uh, this is something I'm. I'm. We're not going to talk about on this podcast uh, specifically. That's something I'm very interested in with Russo, for example. I yeah. know a lot of people kind of saying, "Well, she's good, but she scored ten goals last season." But I personally. I think she fits Jonas Eideval's football yeah. and what he wants from a number nine to a T. But that's not the player I'm, I'm going to discuss. No. Uh, the player 
I want to discuss with you a little bit before we go to a break is Chloe Lacasse. Um, yeah. A player I know you've watched. I don't believe for Arsenal, but um, a player no. I, I know you've watched a bit. First of all, um, could you, because a lot of Arsenal fans, a lot of fans really won't have seen, and that that's really the broad kind of, uh, parameter for this discussion. A lot of people, myself included, just haven't really seen Chloe Lacasse play. Broadly, what kind of player would you say that she is, and and how do you see her fitting like Arsenal's mo? I think she is a to start with. She has a limited profile, but in that profile, she's one of the best. And why I say this is that we are constantly looking for versatile players, players who can do three, four positional roles. And that's not something she can do. Um, but what she does, and that she's very strong, is she is strong on the ball. She accelerates. She's good on dribbling and carrying the ball. She's one of the best. Um, she she loves to go wide. She will start wide and then take on her opposite op- direct opponent and then look for the next step. And the next step would be providing a pass which often becomes an assist or second assist or go invert to a more ideal position and shoot herself or go very close to the goal and shoot herself. And what I think that she does very well is that she progresses so much on the pitch that she comes in the ideal positions to shoot and also be dangerous. So yeah, if we take a data stat and metric expected goals, she will take shots that are a high value are most likely to be converted in a goal. So her goal contribution is very good. What I also like is that her actions will draw defenders to her, which means that she opens up space for the other attacking players. And that's something um, Arsenal kind of need. Obviously, there are some injuries of players that also can do that. Um, And you need someone who can can draw defenders, keep them busy, and open up space for other players to come into. And if other players need more space, and you need to deliver that too, and that's how she can benefit a, a, a national team like Canada, but also Arsenal for sure. Um, I would say she is a skilled individual with a good technique, uh, a strong will, She has a winner's mentality in the duels. Um, I would say she can do better off the ball. So if you want to do a high-pressing system, you need to instruct her very well. She won't recognize those those little details instantly. Uh, But if you give her a good, strict plan, okay, this is how we're going to do it, and this is your task, um, she can be a good player. And the difficulty is, obviously, and this is maybe the next step, how do we assess someone from the Portuguese league? And this is the same question I asked a few months back with with Pelova. Hmm. Like, is this, the Dutch league is similar in accessibility, and that's why it's difficult to assess a player away from the national team, away from those Champions League games or away from the top games, because those are usually uh, filmed and put on the on, on, on platforms like Scout. But the regular games, the, the, the normal opposition, 
how how does the player perform there and that's one of the things that makes it difficult to compare a player like Lacas uh, compared to a player coming from WSL uh, because you can everyone can watch that game inside and mm. out every week uh, and that's that's a difficult thing and that's also for, for, for in terms of scouting a very difficult thing to uh, assess yeah and because the thing about Pelova as well is actually most of the Dutch players Arsenal have had have gone to another league like they've gone to Germany or Daniel van der Donk was in Sweden like they've taken that step before they came yeah. to the WSL whereas Pelova came but she also came a bit older so there's all of that I, th- I think one thing you, you said right at the top there that really really jumped out at me when you kind of said that actually Lacasse's profile is quite limited but within that profile she's really really strong and yeah. me, I've never thought of this before you said that but actually I think that about a lot of Arsenal's attackers like yeah. Caitlin Ford like I, I described them as superpowers right Caitlin yeah. Ford one on one that's what you want you want she's good at finding ways to isolate a fullback, Frida Mornham. I spoke to Jonas about her last season, and he said the thing about Frida is if you step off her, she'll shoot, and if you step to her, it leaves space in behind. And he just he described her very simply like that, like that's her superpower. Like step off and she'll shoot, come and get her, and you're leaving space. And then I look at Beth Mead. I think she's another limited profile but world class within that profile yeah. type player and one of the questions i had down to ask you but you you i think you really said it out there is actually how lacasse um kind of how she interrelates with the other attackers that arsenal have if that makes sense yeah yeah that, that that's the thing and um she can really um slice slice a fair yeah, break break in the fence with her actions so if you have a rigid defense and obviously most of the time Arsenal will dominate the game from a, from a, from a, from a playing position and then uh, the opponents will have a, try to defend deep have a strict line very disciplined and a player like like us will rip the defense open and then you it like a very famous commentating phrase ask questions of a defender and this is that she literally does. So if she drives at you and then there is, okay, does the central defender take her on or is it the fullback? Those questions. And if there's doubt, then you're gone. And this is something she does. And she is very good from on the break. I think though she's top five in the world and how she used her intelligence to get the maximum result out of a break, out of a, a counter-attack. Uh, and transition and that's the and she's great and, and she knows also when to shoot herself or or, or wait for the for her uh, teammate and this is something she does very well and i would say i'm not sure if i would see her as a starter directly mm. but she would be like this is also a popular phrase on the on the coaches she's a she's a finisher so means yep. that she will come off the bench like around the hour mark, sixty minutes, and then she, you know the defense gets a little bit tired, a little bit sloppy, and then you have her, and that's she's fresh and she constantly drives the defense, and that will give more opportunities. And I think in terms of how Arsenal have played last season, and 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 compared to you know the likes of Chelsea and Manchester United and Manchester City, is obviously a lot of injuries. 
but you need to have a little bit of versatility in attack. And I think adding a profile like us will really help them going forward and find different solutions. Because, yeah, you know, if plan A or B don't work, you go over to plan C. And that's something that was needed. And I think that will really benefit them, especially with also with Russo coming in. Um, that could, that's a really strong addition to, to the overall squad. Yeah, and um, just before we go to a break, that, that's something I think we forgot as fans uh, this about what Jonas wants because there were so many injuries last season. But he's really keen on the idea, and we saw it in his first season. The front three never finished the game. It's yeah. very 60-30, 70-20. He's very into that idea of, I kind of want 90 minutes work out of you in 65 minutes and then you're off and someone yeah. else comes on to be that that finisher. And I think that's really how Arsenal fans should be thinking about the attack and not, oh, who's going to start? It's going to be like, they're all going to play. Like if we've got, if Arsenal have six attackers, they're all going to get on the pitch basically. Yeah. And that will happen in different combinations um, as we go along. But um, I, let, let's take a little break there. And after the break, we're going to discuss a little bit about the actual transfer market and how uh, maybe a player like Chloe Lacasse maybe fell between the cracks, maybe didn't. We'll discuss it just after the break. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rose, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. It's a brand new year, and what better time to get going with that online store you've been thinking of. Those I was there when Arsenal actually scored a goal t-shirts would fly off the shelves right now. And to get yourself up and running, you need Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way through to the did we hit a million order stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms, and sell more with less effort with thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash arsblog, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash arsblog now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash arsblog. Okay, and we're back, and I'm still joined by Mark Lambert's uh, scout data analyst uh, extraordinaire as we kind of discuss. Uh, well, we'll go on to discuss. We've discussed a lot about kind of data and scouting and analysis and a little bit about Chloe Lacasse and how she fits in at Arsenal. But one of the things I wanted to ask you, Mark, particularly like in your role, 
Um, I, I know I do some like behind the scenes researchy stuff, not for clubs. Um, it's more media, but like I've just been doing a task where I've tried to watch all 32 teams in the World Cup. And when you get down the list to like Zambia and, yeah. and Haiti and Philippines, that becomes a very, very difficult task in its own right. So do you think, because I look at Chloe Lacash, she's just turned 30. She's been in Iceland. She's been in Portugal. She's Canadian. So she comes from a country that doesn't have a professional league. Now, obviously, most Canadian players just go to the NWSL. That's a big part of why Canada, I think, doesn't have a professional league because the NWSL is right there. But it could be just that she's a late developer, but it strikes me, Mark, that she's getting this move at 30. Like, has she fallen between the cracks a little bit or is she just a late developer? And do you think there are still a lot of these inefficiencies in the women's transfer market for perhaps players who are playing in leagues that aren't very visible? Um, I think that if, well, obviously we have moved. Um we have seen in the last 10 years, we have seen immense investment in the game. And so for the for the young players coming up now, it's different, totally different. Um, first of all, you have to look at pathways. What are the pathways out there? Which teams have academies um, and youth and how does that develop into the first team? What's the, the chance of going into the first team? Then, and you said something interesting because Canadian players most go into into the NWSL, which is a very interesting remark because a lot of the Canadian players, it depends if they are in the college system in the the USA and if they are drafted. A lot Mm. of players aren't drafted. So what happens then? They need to find a pathway to a good league. They won't go in the NWSL, so they have to move. Obviously, Sweden has been a very good league and it's a top eight league in the world, but not everyone gets there or has the ambition to get there. Iceland is a very good opportunity. You still have to make that move. But, and this is very interesting, the people that recruit need to follow those leagues and it's not easy to follow all leagues. I certainly can follow all leagues. Not every league is is available for me on data and video. But how do we get there that we know how good she played? I can't, I can travel to Iceland every other week. I can't. Mm-hmm. And, and the club can't afford to have a, a standing scout in, in Iceland or, or two scouts. It's very difficult. So in that case, depending on how other clubs look at Iceland, then she transfers there and then we can get a bit of bigger picture and a bigger idea of how she plays. And of course, national team is one of the things that we can see players perform, but also playing in a national team is about direct results. It's direct impact. That's also why you see a lot more set-piece goals and a lot more um, penalties and uh, in, in, in national tor- or international tournaments because it's about a direct result and then in a competition in domestic leagues is very different to assess. So falling through the cracks, I don't know, but it's also about the different pathways given. Right now, we see a lot more academies uh, in, from professional leagues. We see different pathways. We also see there is a movement going for the professional league in Canada. There's also an idea, okay, Canada has is the Olymp- Olympic champion, so there's definitely something there. Um, 
people look more to the nation. And that's also why the youngsters are far much more visible from Canada than, than 10, 15 years back. Uh, in, in terms of Lacasse, it's very, very odd. She wasn't, because she went to college, right? And I believe she wasn't drafted or maybe she was made an offer she didn't want and and went to Iceland, I think. Yeah, yeah and that's, that's, that's the, and then they lose a little bit of sight. Not everyone has to read skin. If this was a men's world, football world, you know, it's, it's, it's much more easy and you can have resources and if you have someone in Scandinavia they can travel to Iceland but that's not that's the thing in women's football and even if she was in Portugal and Benfica is, is dominating the league doing very well there's not much opposition yet uh, for them going into the Champions League and then yeah it's much more visible and you see her perform against an other elite squads and then you think okay she can really do something but the journey towards there all the, the games she has played outside of the Champions League. That's very difficult. So um, it's also a little bit of a risk. Sometimes you need to go travel and see how she's doing. Um, but it's a kind of a blind spot f- for the players that are between 25 and 30. We have, haven't seen a lot if, she, if they didn't go through the top leagues and didn't go through the leagues that are well covered on the platforms. And that's also why I think people have a lot of questions about Lacas. Why is she going to Arsenal now? On the, in, why didn't we pick her up earlier? That's also something you hear. Uh, why didn't other clubs look at it? And I've, I cannot, I'm not at liberty to say w- which clubs, but I've scouted her for other clubs. And then people would have doubts and not so much on the sporting aspect I would say but I say there's also a different thing how would she mold how would she do well in our club um, what is what kind of wages does she want all these kind of things the total package and they weren't quite certain if she would be able to adapt purely because they didn't know what, what kind of culture has Iceland what kind of culture does she have back in Canada how would she respond and um, that's also why it's a kind of a risk for a lot of clubs uh, in that category. Um, but yeah, it's difficult. Yeah, and like one of the things I've become fascinated by over the last kind of 18 months or so, um, not just, I'll come on to, again, to the transfer market in a minute, but, um, you know, when Jonas Eideval was explaining, like signing Hafaeli, for example, he talked about how, you know, he, I think he prioritized a lot, but kind of because he had to. The game she played for Brazil, obviously, yeah. Brazil have a Swedish coach. Uh, Hafa has a Swedish agent. And so, like, I, I hesitate to use the word unsophisticated, but I do think that, like, um, it's maybe more unsophisticated than we realize that there's a lot of like a lot of it's to do with connections but also yeah. after the Ajax game last season um, Ajax uh, when Arsenal played Ajax in the Champions League qualifier and Ajax held Arsenal to a 2-2 draw at home and gave them a really tough game and we spoke to Jonas afterwards and he was referencing data from Scout about yeah. Ajax and I was like 
you know, and, and this isn't a criticism. I'm sure this is just the way it works. I was like, I use Y Scout. <laughs> and he was yeah. talking about how not all of IX's games are on there. Yeah. And he was talking about how the data was incomplete, but he was still able to build up. He, he only referenced Y Scout because he said, oh, according to Y Scout, like, IAX have the highest yeah. PPAD in Europe or something. Um, sorry, defensive actions. Basically, I've forgotten the the actual name of the metric, but it basically measures kind of pressing intensity. Yeah, passes uh, a low per defensive action. That's it, PAPD. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, and and yeah, and and I was like, and and I didn't mention it to, it, but in my head, I was like, oh wow, I use Y Scout <laughs> like just kind of for fun almost and and so yeah it made me think like wow we got this brilliant defender i think kind of because jonas is friends with her national coach and her agent swedish and we're playing a big champions league game and using y scout like it's is that kind of the impression you get even at the elite level that there's still quite a way to go yeah so i would say that um, yeah, in terms of Ajax and Eredivisie, it's, 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 it's difficult because not all games are on there. And just, uh, you know, 40% of the games are taped. So there's one one game per round and that, that's on my scout. So that that's difficult. And obviously the data is incomplete, but you can still draw some conclusions. So if they have eight games and their PPDAs are high, yeah, sure, you can learn something from it. Um, but yeah, um, I think that people underestimate how much of connections is important and in women's football even more. So say Arsenal feel very, very confident with a certain agency with, with the players, they will look at that agency because they have a good reference. Um, Joe Montemoro's dealt- agency was yeah. very, very, uh, very, that was a very rich theme of recruitment for Arsenal when Joe Montemoro was the, was the manager. Yeah, those... Uh, exactly those relationships but also um say you have uh for example you, you run very well between ajax and and and, and arsenal in, in certain uh, talks or negotiation or whatever they have a good relationship what why not deal with them again because maybe their payment structure you know they pay everything up front or you know something like that and not in, in installments stuff like that is important to clubs and I think that's why we see certain transfers going and uh, some some transfers are not going through. Um, and I think that people also need to see the whole picture. That's very important. And also the picture of the player. And I think I'm not necessarily want to talk about Rousseau, but this is something that's very uh, important for players as well. You, we... We have to remember that this is a job for players as well. For me, it's, it's for me. It's a job for me, and mm-hmm. you're writing media. It's a job, and for players as well. And they want to be compensated correctly. They want to go for the highest thing they can achieve, and that is something that's also talked about. And obviously, an agency will add to that, and a club needs to set out a plan for a player so i'm sure other player other clubs were interested in lacas but if arsenal had the best option uh, on uh, performance wise sporting wise but also financially and and also it doesn't hurt that everyone in the world knows a little bit of english nowadays so living in england is maybe more interesting than going to italy i don't know i'm just it's just our examples but you have to look at the complete package and um, yeah, everyone has Y Scout or other 
video uh, providers, data providers. But in the end, it's about when you enter the, the, the stage of, okay, okay we are going to make an offer or we're going to start negotiating. Then it's different. It's a different game. And that's mm. not something scouts can do or analysts can do. And um, then it's just negotiating. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Uh, but I do feel that it's a little bit more uh, connection-wise, networking-wise in the women's game than in the men's football. But it's also because we we just have a limited market in the sense that what's attainable. So and and that's that's a difficult thing. Like if you want a you want a defensive midfielder who can play the ball long and strong with his head, yeah, you will get twenty thousand players in men's football that can effectively play there. If you do that in women's football and you only want to look at elite ball carriers in midfield uh, who can play top Champions League level, you have eight players, and underneath that is a lot of unknown territory and that makes it very difficult. So that's why relationships are very important with agents and stuff like that. Yeah, because one of the other reasons I became really interested in this was last summer, in the again, at the elite level in the transfer market, from what I could see, all the big players, all the big clubs were trying to buy each other's players. So yeah. Barcelona wanted Miedema and Rod, didn't get either of them. Chelsea wanted Guerrero, didn't get her. Um, you know, Barcelona ended up buying Kira Walsh because they wanted a defensive midfielder and she's one of the best ones about and she already plays for Man City. So you have to break the world transfer record to do it. And I, I was looking at it and I was thinking, this means we've got a supply and demand issue, clearly. Like we've got more big clubs now. It's not just the case anymore like it was 10, 15 years ago. If you're a good British player, you go to Arsenal. If you're a good European player, you go to Lyon. And that's kind of about it whereas now like the marketplace is more crowded but the supply of players isn't quite there which is why I'm really interested in Arsenal signing someone like Chloe Lacasse bringing in younger players like Katrin Kuhl and Gio Kiros who, who, and that to me is about trying to get the players before they go to Wolfsburg or someone and you can't get them anymore and I just wonder in in your kind of when you were for example, scouting Chloe Lacasse, you referenced the Women's Champions League. That clearly gave her a platform. Like without that and without the group stage and not just like with six games against really good opposition, you mentioned how good she is on the counter-attack. I'm certain every Arsenal fan has seen that goal she scores against, um, was it Barca or Bayern um, on the counter yeah. and she cuts yeah, in nice. on her left foot. And, you know, and, and it seems to me like, you know, the Women's Champions League is going to perhaps close some of those inefficiencies. When you scouted Chloe Lacasse, how much did you put extra emphasis on those games at all? Or or like, no. how did you look at those games differently? Or didn't you? I didn't. And the reason is, yes, it is high opposition. This is a strong opposition. But for me, um, it's about... A series, if I look at 20 games and six of them are Champions League, um, yeah, the, 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 for me, it's about uh, the, the length of the games, how many games have you played, and that's very important. And obviously, the Champions League are outliers, yeah. So, 
if you look at Benfica in the league, they have to dominate. They have to win. If they don't win, it's a shame. Mm. It's a disaster. And this is also Arsenal is a dominating team. They should every season they should fight for the title and should and should go far in the Champions League. That's the main objective and the cups as well. And this is Benfica too. But Benfica against Bayern Munich or or, or Barcelona or whatever team they're playing, they have a little bit more freedom because they are, they are not expected to win. So they are a little bit more creative. They can take risks because if they don't win, it's not a shame. And that's why I think as a professional capacity, I, I don't put too much stock in them. But obviously the individual actions are very good against a very good opposition. And, and it's not to say that she isn't good because she is good. But I don't think that what happens a lot is, okay, these games are available. We look at those games. And if you look at these games, I get this image. And this is uh, it's not the complete package. And also the data from those games is not the complete package. So if you want to fully assess her and you look at two, three years, what kind of part of it is Champions League games and... It gives fans an idea, it gives media an idea how she can play and and, and, it's, and that she can be very good for Arsenal and decisive. But in the, the series of 20 games, 30 games, how does she perform? It's more far more valuable. Because you will play a Bristol City. You will play Leicester. You will play Brighton, which are of different level. But can she dominate against that opposition and be expected to score goals and deliver assists? And that's the main thing. And I think that's um, more important that you can contribute. And this is also looking at Russo. People say, okay, 10 goals, but how does she contribute to the attacking actions, to actually winning a game? And that's huge. And that's good for Russo and it's good for the cast. It's good for Pelova. And that's why they are brought there. Not necessarily because they played a good game against a top opposition. It's it's a long run. Uh, we try to assess and for a long run you need to perform and not only the outliers yeah because I guess that goal she scores against Barcelona that's not a goal she's likely to score for Arsenal against Bristol City for example who aren't going to have their like two defenders in their entire half on the counter-attack just just in closing just um, probably a more basic question like in terms of where you think, because I have the impression that Lacasse has got two good feet and can play on both sides. Is there a side that you think she's better at? And do you have a, a sense of like whether she'd be, for example, at the moment, Mead and Ford are pretty much the first choice, I think, uh, first choice wingers who'll probably start most most games, whether she'd be better as a kind of understudy support rotation option for either one. I would, I would always play on the left. Um, she has two good feet, obviously. But um, if she plays on the right, she will be direct in going through goal, which gives her one option. On the left, she can invert, she can play on the wing, she can play in the half space, she can provide an assist, can shoot herself, she can have a good link-up play. There are more options. And that's also why she can be valuable because she's high in goals and assists. And um, I think that if you want to create more, because I think Arsenal need to create more and finish better yeah. um, and, and, and allow... Okay, you need to also... She also makes others better. 
that's very important and we've seen that with black uh, yeah she needs someone who can help her and if that someone who draws defenders away someone who possible in the right area the right time the good positioning um and that's something lacasse can do she can make better uh, chances for other players and i think that she will do very well uh, even if she doesn't start in that order, in that regard so yeah i would personally play her from the left but she, yeah she can play from the right or down the middle even but i would say her strength lies in that that left white area where she can invert and and then um possible wherever she wants it to be and uh, yeah and just a final question actually just came to mind. Like we've talked about the fact she's just turned 30. Um, and I guess when you scout a player like Lacasse, you know, like the age curve, it happens to every player at some point. Yeah. It doesn't happen to them at the same point, but it happens to every player because there are no 50-year-olds playing. Um, do, how much How much are you asked? to look at something like that? Does that figure in your thinking? Would that figure in like a report? Would you look at say how she is in the last 20 minutes? Like, do you, do you build in kind of anything to do with age profile or would you just present to the club? This is the player we're looking at. For a player of her age, this is her peak. Yeah. Uh, normally. So potential doesn't, doesn't come into play. So you need to be top. Yeah, if you are Portugal, you need to be the best player, which she, which she arguably is, because I'm not. Yeah, there's another player, uh, Kika Nazareth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think she is more valuable because the potential is huge, but uh, she needs to be the best player. Victoria Polovo is younger, but she was the best player in the league for sure, hundred percent. If you go to those leagues and you scout in them, you need to get the best players. Now, an age profile, you will see, okay, what can I get out of it? You know, is it a case of one season or three seasons? And that's very important. So, and how will she play? How are abilities, are they dependent on getting older, on injuries? So if she's uh, someone who heavily relies on her pace and uh, the the ability to uh, direct contact with her opponent, yeah, that come, then age is a relevant metric to consider. If she's someone who is good on the ball and doesn't necessarily need that pace, but can distribute and become a little bit more of a uh, creator instead of finisher, then you can see her in a longer for a longer period. Obviously, that is a very important thing, especially if you uh, look at a player and you are going to splash some money. <laughs> Yeah. So and and I think that we'll see more and more uh, transfer fees now, especially after the World Cup. Uh, yeah, it's always going to be crazy overspending after a tournament, but um, we are now paying four hundred k for Joe Hort, who doesn't doesn't necessarily have a great season, um, but we're paying now for you know, where the game is going. So, but then if she. She still has a few good years. She has a potential to fulfill. She can, she can get a team to the next level, and and then yeah, obviously then money is a big factor, and then you will be more easily. It's you will be more comfortable spending on someone who has a potential, and you can help her get that potential than someone who's top, and will only 
um, go down in market value. Uh, and I think that's, that's an important thing, but yeah, um, uh, how clubs work is you have a six month, 12 month, 18 month recruitment plan most of the times. And for the 18 months you track talents, but you know, you have to perform now within six months and then one year. Yeah. You, you, you won't, you don't consider the age as is important because you have to perform right now and not in two seasons time. Yeah, yeah, and it strikes me that Arsenal have got two layers of recruitment going on at the moment in terms yeah. of bringing the Catherine Cools and the Geos in, but also over the top of that, Illichstedt, Lacasse, like like you say, those have got to be the best right now. Mark, that was a really fascinating discussion. I really, really enjoyed that. And um, I can tell because it went well over the time that I said that I would keep you for, which is always a very good KPI for a good conversation. But Mark, um, first of all, and and sorry, I should say, where can people uh, follow your work uh, online? Um, Yeah, you can follow me at at Lambert's Mark on Twitter. Um, I also run a visual uh, visualizations account she plots fc so if you didn't know it was me here i am <laughs> and uh, yeah i mainly on, on twitter you can also then f- find my medium where i write uh about articles and i occasionally also uh, write or uh, her football hub which is a good is also a, a great platform for to read about women's football also for writers getting started so um yeah there you can find me yeah, a really recommended follow. Followed Mark for for quite a while, and uh, the she plots, uh, the radars that that you do, which are which are uh, you know, I've I've learned to love visualization. I'm not a visual learner, but like getting into data because I I was writing about football and I got into the data side afterwards because I felt I had to as part yeah. of my job. So I've learned to love visualization, and uh, really really enjoy your work, Mark. So. Thanks very much for that. We really, really hope that you enjoyed that episode and found it informative. We'll come back with something in a couple of weeks, probably World Cup themed, not really expecting much transfer activity from Arsenal, certainly not during the group stages anyway. But um, I know several members of Arsenal's coaching staff are going to be out in Australia and New Zealand. uh, And uh, I believe they are going to be doing some scouting themselves. So a relevant discussion uh, there. And maybe we'll start to see the fruits of that in August. But until then, take it easy and we will speak to you next time. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.